Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Well, today is your lucky day. (laughs) I don't know how lucky you are, but I've had several requests for me to tell my story since we've done over 100 episodes here. A couple of folks said, Bob, we've never heard uh, your background. So I don't know if today's your lucky day or not, but that's what today's episode is about. Quite frankly, it's much easier to do an episode with a guest. I get a chance to review their backgrounds. I put down some questions I either interview them virtually or I interview them in person and the play that you get back and forth is so much easier because you have a real agenda and list and you can just make the episode much more interesting in my opinion. But then when you start thinking, my goodness, how do I distill down six decades worth of life into an episode that people will actually want to listen to? So this is my best shot. So I guess the only way to begin is to begin at the beginning. I was born in Southwest Ohio, and in my formative years, I grew up on a 500-acre farm. It was a lovely childhood. I was the youngest of three brothers, and I believe my father bought the farm just because he wanted to give us that experience. And we did what all young boys on a farm do. We caught a lot of critters. (laughs) So I can remember bringing home groundhogs and possums and Barn owls and hawks. I I couldn't even imagine how we would go about catching those things today, but back then we sure did that. And again, to me, it was just a, it was really a magical place. When you're a young boy, you have so much land to roam around on. And so I spent a lot of my time, my free time, I should say, in the creek beds, kicking up rocks and catching all sorts of things and snakes and crawdads. And I just remember very vividly bringing those home, much to my mother's chagrin. One thing I vividly remember is that, unfortunately, my father was a lifelong smoker. He started clear back when he was in eighth grade, when it was very fashionable to do that. Fortunately, that is something that most people don't do today. But again, he was a lifelong smoker. He was a businessman. And every once in a while, he and my mother would go away for the weekend. And so they would hire a woman to stay with us on the farm. Her name was Mrs. Parker. And Mrs. Parker would do her best to keep us in line and keep us out of trouble, but sometimes that didn't work. Remember I said my father was a lifelong smoker? 
Well, that came back to bite him at times. And one of those times was when I almost burned the barn down. (laughs) It's true. Mrs. Parker loved the Tom Jones special. Now, you can still see Tom Jones on The Voice on TV. He's a whole lot older. But back then, he was a Elvis wannabe. And he had his own TV special where he would get up on stage and he would shake and bake and sing. Still has a wonderful voice, I might say. But Mrs. Parker loved watching Tom Jones. So while she was watching Tom dance around on stage, my friend Tim and I, and also Randy, we stole my parents' cigarettes and decided to go out into the barn and have a smoke. And as is the case with uh, some young snot-nosed kids, we decided to smoke those cigarettes and also play around a little bit by lighting some of the hay on fire. So we'd light the hay on fire and then throw some water on it, thinking that we had put it out. After a while, we got bored, of course, and probably got sick from the cigarettes. But I remember walking away with with the hay smoldering, thinking, oh, that's going to go out. Unfortunately, it did not. I can't remember the sequence of events, but later on that same day, we had to drive over to Mrs. Parker's house and then come back. And the farm that we lived at had a very long driveway, and it was up on a hill coming down to the house and then up on a second hill. I remember coming around that corner, pulling into the driveway and seeing billows of smoke pouring out of that barn. Of course, Mrs. Parker let out a a screech. (laughs) (laughs) and she ran into the house and she called the fire department all the fire trucks come rolling in with their alarms blazing and the firemen go charging into the barn and of course they put the fire out and I remember again I'm seven eight years of age and I remember walking around in there acting like none the wiser And the fireman saying, you know, what are all these cigarette butts doing here? One fireman, I remember saying, oh, I'm sure it's just combustion. And another one saying, what about these cigarette butts? And of course, I'm walking around acting like I have no idea what's going on. Well, sure enough, over the next several days as we got cornered by our parents, we got busted. And I can remember spending the rest of that summer cleaning that barn from top to bottom and making it clean as spick and span. And fortunately, we did not burn the barn down, nor did we burn up with it. As I was ready to go into high school, we sold the farm and moved into the town of Wilmington. Wilmington was and is primarily a farming community. It was there that I attended high school, and there was only one high school in town given the size of the community. So everybody knew everyone else, But I remember it was my junior year. I went into the gymnasium right after lunch. It was with my friends. And we typically would go in and shoot some basketball for the half an hour or so that we had. And, of course, we would look at all the girls. And I remember very clearly, one day I looked across the gym and I saw a beautiful brunette wearing green polyester pants. (laughs) So... Those type of stretchy pants are what girls wore before yoga pants was ever a thing. (laughs) But I remember seeing this beautiful brunette by the name of Leslie. And uh, she had actually grown up over the summer. So she certainly caught my eye. 
and she later became my girlfriend and my wife. And actually this summer, we are going to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. So I went off to college, attended both Southern Methodist University in Dallas and also Georgetown College. And about halfway through, Leslie and I decided to get married. After college, we both went back to the Wilmington area and worked for our family businesses. Her father was in the freight industry and my father was in the hardware industry. My father was actually president of a family-controlled business known as Irwin Tools. That's I-R-W-I-N, for those that are curious. And if you go into the hardware stores around here, you will see, still see that name, Irwin Tools. So we both worked for our family businesses and began to have children. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because before we got married, I remember that Leslie's father bought a home on Bird Key in Sarasota. And Howard, wonderful man, I still miss him today, always felt like he was my second father. He invited me down to visit the home that he had bought. After I saw Sarasota and Bird Key and this lovely area here and the beautiful brunette that I was dating, I decided right then and there we were going to get married. (laughs) Which we did in 1983. For part of my time working for my father's business, I moved out to the Long Island area where we lived in the Hampton Bay area. We were there for several years and then in the mid to late 90s, we actually sold that company. I'm now in my mid-30s thinking, what do I do now? My father had pretty much retired from the sale of the business and he was always in love with deep sea fishing. On one trip, he went down to the Turks and Caicos Islands with a friend. While down there, he discovered that one of the things that the islands needed very badly was a decent supermarket. He asked me to come down and take a look at the place. And through a series of events, he, myself, and several other investors decided to build a retail and supermarket location. And that's exactly what we did. We were down there several years before we sold the business. But I remember very distinctly, obviously, how different it was from how I was brought up. I'll give you an example. Of course, this is a completely different part of the world where a lot of folks live on the margin of survival. And there are people that take advantage of that. There was a real live pirate down there. And when I say a real live pirate, this is what this gentleman would do. There was a part of the island on the main island there called Provo Providencialis. And what he would do is he would leave in the middle of the night on a boat and he would go over to Haiti and anything you know about Haiti is probably the poorest country in the Western hemisphere, but he would go over there and he would tell the people that he would take them to the United States, but that he had to do it at night and he would charge them a thousand dollars a head and that was going to be their ticket to freedom and to the American dream. Unfortunately, When he would take them at night, he knew he couldn't take them to the United States, so he would bring them back to the Turks and Caicos. And he used to tell them he had to do it at night because if they got caught, they would have been sent back to Haiti and they would lose all their money. So he would just simply drop them off on a desolate part of the island at night. And over the years, there was a separate group there of all Haitians. It was a sad situation for sure, but what I distinctly remember 
is that many of these Haitians were thankful even in those circumstances. And they again, they'd much rather live in tin huts and cardboard than go back to Haiti. Very hard workers. They would do the most difficult jobs like scraping barnacles off the bottom of the boat, and they were thankful for that work. By this time, my wife and I had three young daughters, and we decided that we needed to go back to the United States, back to the Cincinnati area, and get our kids into schools that had the resources for a proper education. My father was ready to retire completely, and so we sold the business and moved on back to the United States. This is the late 90s, early 2000s, and this was right at a time where some people may remember about the dot-com bubble. That's where the internet was coming on strong, and everybody was investing in the various websites known as the dot-com era. I'd had a fellow who was managing my investments at the time, and he had me invested very, very heavily in technology. But for some reason, I really didn't like the fact that so much of my portfolio was in this sector. And by sheer chance, I told him, no, I I want you to pull my money out. He tried to talk me out of it, but I won over. We sold a lot of these investments that I had. And as people will remember back then, the technology sector absolutely collapsed. It was by no means genius that I saw this. It was just simply... I didn't feel comfortable with the investments, and so now I had to ask myself again, what do I do next? Frankly, I said to myself, well, I can lose my own money on my own. I don't need to pay somebody to do it for me. (laughs) And there's an old statement that's been around forever that there is a bull market someplace, and I decided to find out where it was so I could invest on my own. China was coming on very strongly. And they were going around the world, buying up much of the world's resources, cement, copper, gold, silver, tin, iron, a lot of mining resources. And as a kid, my father had taken me to some of these conferences down in the New Orleans area. I don't remember why, but he was a gold guy. He always felt that our finances should be based upon a gold standard rather than what it is today. So he used to take me down to these conferences And it dawned on me that we were getting ready to go into a new super cycle in the commodities and mining industry. So what I did is I began to study the industry and going to a lot of conferences in Vancouver and Toronto and other locations, meeting with these companies to invest in them. So in essence, I was self-taught. One story I'll share, which I remember very vividly, I was in Northern Argentina looking at some property. And I met one of the most fascinating people I've ever known. His name was Sebastian. And Sebastian was a young boy when World War II broke out. And he was in Yugoslavia at the time. Of course, things were desperate and they had no food. And he shared with me that the farmers tried to do everything they could to keep people from stealing their potatoes. But Sebastian said, we got those potatoes because we had to. And I've always believed that something is not really yours unless you could keep it. And I've never forgot that. Sebastian tried to immigrate to the United States after the war, but could not because there were only so many immigrants that they were taking at the time from that part of the world. So he immigrated to Canada and he got involved in the mining industry there and developed a mining testing company and became very successful. He and his family later moved down 
to Argentina, and that, of course, is where I met him. One of the gifts I wanted to give my children was the gift of travel and also to experience different cultures. I really felt that during their generation, it was going to be important for them to go out into the world because in my generation, so much of the world was coming here. But I wanted them to learn Spanish and also to experience different cultures. And we were fortunate to find a wonderful Spanish school in the coffee region of Panama. So for several summers, they went and stayed with a lovely family by the name of Buchain. And they had daughters as well. They became great friends. And that's where they learned to speak Spanish. Remember I said my father-in-law bought a home on Bird Key? Well, that meant over the years, I had a cheap place to go vacation. (laughs) But my wife and I brought our daughters down here over the years after a long and dreary winter in Cincinnati. We would come down in March and April, typically for Easter, and we'd spend our week or two weeks down here. Of course, grew very fond of the area. Then around 20, 2014, 2015, of course, the kids had grown off, had grown up, gone off to university or had started their own careers. And we decided to move down to Sarasota. It's been a wonderful eight years now. Let's see. Yeah, eight years now. We love this area. And I had, for a short period of time, sort of retired, for lack of a better term. And my wife and I got very involved in a a private club that was struggling here financially. And we and some other folks, kind of a new wave of membership came in and helped get that thing turned around. And I discovered that I really enjoyed podcasts and I really wanted to meet people that I would not otherwise because I was hanging out with a lot of retirees and some of those stories get old You drink a little bit too much, you eat a little bit too much, and I just figured I had more in the tank and wanted to start Sarasota Stories. So that's really my story. I appreciate you listening to it, and trust me, I have a whole lot more interesting people in the pipeline that I'll bring to you going forward. Once again, I always appreciate every listener that tuned in to us, given all the different options that are out there. But that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly appreciate it. And onward and upward. Hello, dear listeners. This is Bob again. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect.